Okay. Well, welcome to Redesigning High School, our little podcast that explores how we might design school with the with students in the future in mind. I'm Terry DeBow. I am the uh, director of special projects here at Hawken. And I'm Julia Griffin, uh, assistant director of the upper school for teaching and learning. Which is true, but incomplete. <laughs> That's true. What would you like to say about yourself? <laughs> uh well, nothing like uh, taking the crown and putting it on one's own head. Uh, Should I say it then? No, no, that's okay. okay. Uh, yeah, so my new gig is as director of the Mastery School. This is a very exciting time because uh, the Mastery School of Hawken is a real thing. Uh, we are opening in August of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be down on Magnolia Drive in University Circle. It's going to be a school that's developed around... Project-based learning, which may or may not be the topic of today's podcast. Hey, how about that? How about that? Um, so uh, it's a big, exciting day and time at Hawken. And congratulations, yeah. Julia. For oh, all. thanks. Yeah, it's amazing. It's going to be ex- awesome. I'm really excited. It's going to be great. Um, uh, so, Julia, it is February. Yes, it is. And it's, uh, it's dreary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's True. It's awful. It's, not, it's just dreary. It's true. And we are at the sort of the top, if not the other side of the mountain, although we're at the other side of the mountain at the point where it feels like you're still climbing the mountain, if you know what I mean, like you're tired, mm-hmm. exhausted, cranky. Not Here you. on the 57th day of February, <laughs> yes. Some version of that. Yes. And so uh, we are just going to push through with hope in mind yeah. uh, in our hearts um, and talk a little bit about uh, education and all the lovely and transformative elements of it, even if at this moment they feel more imaginary than real because everyone's tired. Um, today, we are going to uh, talk about project-based learning, and we're really excited. We obviously have you and your expertise, but we also have uh, our famous uh, friend Doris Corda, who is the CEO of Wild for Education, the former associate head of school here at Hawken, and her curriculum is the foundation of the educational instructional framework uh, for the Mastery School of Hawkins. So exactly right. it seems like a really good time to have her here. Um, and she's going to speak momentarily. But first, we have to do our thing. Our thing, yes. So our thing is the best and worst things that have happened in the last span of time. That's right. You want to go first? Uh, what was the best sh- or worst thing for you? Um, well, I will tell you. I will do a best thing and a worst thing. All right. And they're the same thing. <laughs> uh, so I've decided that I'm, I'm done. I'm done grading papers. Wow. I'm, I'm no longer. That's bold. Well, it, it's maybe a temporary solution. But so what I've done is I've been video conferencing and meeting with every student who submitted every single paper. Whew. And th- these are analytical essays, but they're also a little narrative and stuff. And so uh, the truth is, is that I spend 45 minutes an hour reading a paper. And by that, I mean, it's like 20 minutes of like really doing it. And then 20 minutes of like, I can't read another paper. Right. So <laughs> I figured I might as well use that yes. time to talk to students face to face. And of course, they spend hours writing it hours with that or hour, depending on the paper. But um, and then. You know, they get the feedback two weeks later or whatever it is, and they look mm-hmm. at it, and they, it's kind of disembodied. They don't know what it is. And so anyway, so I've been having these conversations, and they've been fantastic. And it made me really feel like, you know, we could write – it's true that we could write less. Yeah. We could do less and get more if we increase the human contact. Totally agree. Okay, so that's the best. The worst part is it's, <laughs> it's been really time-consuming. Yeah, it turns out it's it turns really, really time-consuming. Time so like Sundays, my Saturdays and Sundays, my evenings, I'm video conferencing. And these – they're really good sports, right? But it's yeah. – I, I always say like, hey, this is weird, right? This is my living room, right? <laughs> is the dog there? The dog's in the back, yeah, right? Yeah, the yeah. whole thing. So, But it, I've, I have felt a different kind of yeah. value in the feedback. 
And I feel like there's a better chance that it will be enduring and transferable, which ultimately is what we want, right? Totally. Oh, Terry. I mean, you, I know you've been sharing with this, sharing with me about this as you were planning for it this semester, but I mean, what you're describing, those one-on-one writing conferences, that is the best. I remember them it's, when I was in college. Me too. Being like, that's what, that's what I felt like I could yes. be the writer. Or <laughs> what I've noticed also is the students who may have been phoning it in for a bit and phoned it in this one, I can say to them in their Facebook, like, hey, I see a lot of strength here. But, you know, this does not feel like your best work. Your best work. And, uh, and they know it, too. They know it, too. That's and right. so there's no hedging and no hawing. They're like, yeah. That's right. Sorry about that. I'm like, that's all right. Not my paper. But um, anyway, so that's my best and worst. That's awesome. What, what about and you? And exhausting. And tired. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I have a I have a best moment from the week for sure when I think about it. And uh, it was this morning. We had um, challenged two presentations in the entrepreneurship class, um, a class that Doris started and which I'm sure we'll talk about soon. Um, and... It was with a, um, a company called Rust Belt Riders, which had worked with Entra before, but has a new um, product that they're launching and they wanted help with that. And so the it was great. It's always great to see the student growth as the semester goes on in entrepreneurship. So they have eventually four of these major presentations throughout the spring. This was number two. Yeah. Um, and so my favorite thing, you know, after seeing them is then as the kids are done and they're chatting and they're grabbing a bagel and they're, you know, kind of reflecting to just be able to ask them questions about. So, like, so tell me what this was like. What was it, you know? What was it like to get ready for it? How was it? Was it different from the first one? And so it was really fun um, to hear from the students as some of them said, oh, you know, it was much easier this time. And the other ones were like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding? No way. I worked so much harder this time and I practiced so much more because I realized what I had to do. Um, So just watching where they all were on their own individual growth paths and seeing that growth start to happen is. Yeah. It brightens up a February day. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So that's awesome. Uh, so many good things. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's let's get started. Um, Doris. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Do you enjoy okay. the banter? Yes, I enjoyed your banter. <laughs> I liked it very much. Um, all right. Well, we're very excited that you're here and that you're part of the Mastery School of Hawken, which, again, um, has been – people have been thinking about for a long time, and we're – it feels like August 2020 is like, ah, eh, that's a long way away. <laughs> Turns out. Does it? <laughs> it's not that far away. Not that far away. So, Julia, do you want to ask sure. our friend Doris a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Doris, first of all, I'm so glad that you're here. I am too, but if I could just yeah. say something. I miss that we're not in your living room. We don't oh, have your dog that's here. That's right. I feel like I'm being completely cheated just because I'm not your student. Well, we could yeah. – uh, I we know. Could, we could find a different next one. Next one, next time. Yeah. Next one we'll the, bring the dog. I want the dog. We'll bring yeah. the dog. Yeah, this is dog. like the yeah. I don't know. This is, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> dogs aside, I it's you know you and I have worked together for years on this, and you have been such an incredible and continue to be such an incredible friend and mentor. Um, so I'm so excited that you're here to talk about the programming and the curriculum and the methods that you have developed over time. Um, I wonder. I think I wonder whether the best way to get a feel for what your curriculum and your approach is like um, is to hear you talk a little about what this kind of learning that you spend your life doing, what it does for kids, how it transforms kids and the way they they learn. Oh, I 
Well, I think the best way to explain that is through examples. Yeah. So, you know, we, Terry, you mentioned um, project-based learning. And uh, I was talking to a guy yesterday who works for one of the, uh, probably the single largest company that trains teachers in project-based learning um, yesterday. And he said that this year they trained 150,000 teachers. Wow. There are a lot of teachers, millions actually, who are doing projects. There are actually a lot of schools that are project-based schools. Um, I did projects when I was a kid. It isn't actually about doing projects versus lectures. And if you do projects instead, poof, la voila. Right. <laughs> you know, kids. And so maybe actually the best way to answer that question is to give you a couple examples. And um, I'll, I'll give you one right now. So there's a school uh, in Columbus that um, has, it's a STEM high school. So they do a lot of projects. And their sophomores, so those are, you know, 15, 16-year-olds, have a required course, uh, Principles of STEM. And they do all these projects. And uh, the idea is for them to learn some science, some technology, some engineering, some mathematics, uh, all through these projects. Well, it turns out that um, the kids mostly hate that class okay and um so it must be fun to teach that class. yeah it must be really fun to teach that class and so um i'm working with a number of teachers there one of whom is a science teacher and the science teacher who's been teaching this for a while um has a unit that she does every year in this class and the idea of the unit is um it's a project kid chooses from a list of diseases that they want to study for their project. She has a grid, and in the grid, um, it's like a rubric, okay? So it says, all right, so you can choose, kid, your project, and you're going to do a number of things, your disease, I mean. You're going to do a number of things as part of this project, and then at the end of it, you're going to present all these things. And the rubric says to meet the minimal requirements, you need to have these things, And there were things like uh, you have to have one five-page paper that has to have at least referencing three research documents. You have to do this about cells. You have to do do one – you have to find one set of research, et cetera. And then if you want to do better, you do these. And if you want to do better, you do those, et cetera. That's a project. Now, this teacher and another teacher have been working with me to teach – using projects in a completely different way, in the kind of way we're talking about here. And for that unit, instead of doing that, here's what they did. There's an organization in the community called Moms-to-Be. They work with pregnant teens. And they took, the teachers took the class to this organization, Moms-to-Be, and the CEO of Moms-to-Be said to the kids, This is what our organization does. We work with pregnant teens. We have a huge and growing problem here. And let us tell you about what this looks like. And we're not sure what to do because the number of pregnant teens keeps increasing in this community. And we're actually having a lot of health problems. We're having a lot of um, problems with the babies, et cetera. And um, 
we are grownups. We've been in this work for a long time. We can't figure it out. We think it's time to see what kids can do. And could you please figure this out? Teachers take the kids back on the bus, put them on teams of three or four each. They have three and a half weeks to come up with an evidence-based solution to what can moms-to-be do to significantly reduce the unhealthy uh, pregnant moms and babies problem. And um, then the kids start in teams guided big time by the teachers. They're not just thrown out there. They're guided in a big way. Um, they start they start to do the research to understand the problem. And they're doing research online. They're doing field research. They're learning how to do that well. Mm-hmm. They're having to learn along the way, uh, okay, I, I have these two reports that are supposedly about the same thing with data from two different sources, and the numbers are different. What do I do when I – so they're learning a little bit about how to evaluate good data. They're having to learn how to present along the way because every week they have to present, et cetera. So they do a whole bunch of stuff, and by the end, I'll give you an example of one of the teams. One of the teams starts their presentation. So remember, they, they, there's a real organization that in their community with a real problem. hasn't been solved yet. It's certainly urgent. Mm-hmm. There's no answer in the back of the book. Um, it matters, obviously. And uh, I'll just give you one team. One team starts this presentation by saying, we want to talk about infant mortality. We started doing this research, and we found out that there's a direct correlation between poverty and depression, between depression and stress, and between stress and the following health implications, Mm -hmm. which in turn affect the pregnant mother and also the baby. And by the way, we also found out that if you suffer from these kinds of things during pregnancy, the baby has a higher probability of the following diseases over the course of its life than the rest of the population. Now, let's go back and let's compare the project to... Right. Right. Do you, do you oh, say, absolutely. Okay. So what happens? Well, I'll, I'll talk about that team and we'll talk about transformation. Okay. We use that word now. That's the big new word, sure. right? Oh, it's transforming. Right. Okay. There, there's always like the edgy jargon du jour. And the new one is, you know, it was innovation. We kind of got tired yes. of that. <laughs> now we're talking transformative innovation. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's so funny. And just when you think you've come up with a, okay, I'm sick of all of this jargon soup. I got to come up with a new way to say this. And you get real excited because you come up with a new word. Right. Two seconds later, you're seeing it. Right. Or you go back to 1985, you're like, oh, there it was. <laughs> it was. And since I was around, not only in 85, but in 75 and 65, I can right. tell. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let me talk about, I'm literally just talk about that team. So four kids on that team, there were three girls and a boy. They didn't all learn exactly the same things. In fact, they learned very, very different things. One of the kids on that team did all kinds of stuff and went really deep in statistics, the teacher, the science teacher told me, you can't believe the kind of stuff this kid started getting into, like way, way beyond what I ever would teach 
in a statistics class in high school. Another kid uh, on the team was the one who was the designer, designed their presentations, designed a lot of their portfolio stuff, designed all kinds of other stuff. Two of the girls got so into the science, the linkages, the behavioral psychology, the connections between poverty, depression, depression, stress, stress, health, off the charts. This was a three-week project. Okay, so imagine instead a three-week project where by yourself, pick a disease. Go to the website. <laughs> yeah, so what's, you can't really understand what we're doing here with the mastery school only by thinking of it in terms of, oh, we're going to do projects instead of right. lectures. Yeah, no, it, it's yeah. It, every time you talk about these things, it's so clear. And I also think that uh, I end up like probably a lot of people wondering like, well, you know, what are they giving up? Mm. Right. Yeah. What about what about content? And I, I, I always I go through the same psychological process like, yeah. Content. What are they giving up? Well, here's the thing. It's a false trade. Like, it's not like it's they exactly. got it before when they did they the project. Don't. It's temporary. It's they're trying to right. cross whatever threshold the teacher right. established. And then for the most part, it disappears. And they don't have any of the experience that make any of that stuff stick. Exactly. So you're exactly right. This is the biggest thing that comes up. Okay, but what about content? What are they going to do on the test? What are they going to, how are they going to know their physics, their mathematics, their history, their whatever? And it is. It's absolutely the wrong question. And, you know, there are a couple things to point to. And by the way, I started developing these methods of teaching as a math teacher. Okay, mathematics. Right. I, I was teaching math. I wasn't teaching entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. We weren't talking. This was 22 years ago. We weren't talking about 21st century skills. Um, I was teaching a bunch of kids math. And they, it was all about how do you teach so that each individual kid can grow it by learning new things really well if you think about education that way so right now what we do when we think like that like what about the content what about the whatever is we're imagining that there's this single set of facts that all of us need to learn in the room and spit back and that's really the uber goal well, that is what the goal has been of the current school system, education system. And we actually have a ton of proof for what you said. People don't retain it. Yeah. And, by the way, we live at a time when recorded information doubles every few weeks. So even if they retained the little sliver of facts that I'm going to shove into all 20 of you in a school year, learn U.S. history, here are the treaties you need to know, here are the battles, here are the names. It's a sliver of what there is to know. Right. And particularly, it's a, it, that may be a sliver that you don't need to know. Right. 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 Unless you need to know it. Right. right? Unless right. there's context and there's content around it to make it right. urgent and, and meaningful. Well, which is not to say that content doesn't matter. It's that context is what makes the content Content relevant. totally matters. But let's go back to the example I just gave. So... If you're doing the project in her regular class and you're learning about a disease because you're looking it up and you're checking the boxes, maybe you remember something about that one disease two months later. You definitely won't remember it two years later. And maybe it was useful in some way. But imagine the kid 
who has maybe not even ever cared about science, but what learned got crazy interested yeah. in the fact that there's a connection between poverty and depression and depression and got deep into it. And then the cell, what the impacts are in health. And then the teacher is understands how to teach so that those kids have to learn really hard content in order to come up with a good solution. They have to, you can't, you, like you said, it's not about content or skills. All of the above. You have to learn a lot of content. It's just it may not be all of us learning all the same content. Right. So, so listening to you, Doris, it's hard not to think about motivation and the role of motivation and student interest. Yes. Can you talk more about that? Because it seems to me yeah. that that's such a key element. It's huge. Here. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. Um, so it's so funny because think about yourself. I don't care what age you are. <clears throat> if I said, think of the first thing that comes to mind where you're really proud of yourself because you learned something really, really hard that was new. And I've done this with rooms full of people over and over again. And they never, and Julia, and we've talked about this. Julia's done this. Totally. We um, did it last night. Okay? Yeah. They never raise their hand and say, Beowulf. Beowulf. <laughs> right. <laughs> wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. I love Beowulf. Yeah. I feel like we need to talk right about this. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. You were the one out of 2,000 who raised her hand. I am said, the one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You were really good but, at school. Pretty, I know. Right. I was. But, anyway. we, but honestly, we, the whole way we do school is based on the assumption that as a teacher, I'm going to know what you should be most interested in. That's literally what we think. Like, I'm, I, I'm older. I'm an expert in math. And I know what you should be interested in. Then, when you're actually not interested at all, and you don't do much because you couldn't care less, I go into the faculty lounge or I go into the parent-teacher conferences and I say, oh, my, Terry, you know, he has so much potential. If only, <laughs> he, if only he worked harder and, you know, I, I really think that, you know, we need to figure out a way to get Terry to show us what he can really do and show himself what he – and so there's this vicious cycle, okay, because now Terry feels like a loser because, mm -hmm. hey, Terry uh, – I, I, I think you're smart. I really do, honestly. It's you just must be lazy or you're just not motivated for some reason. Get get it together. Now think about what happens. Again, go back to any time in your life when you learn something so hard, so fast, so well that you surprised yourself. It was because there was something you wanted to be able to do that in order to do it. You had to learn this new thing. Okay, well, that's interestingly enough. That's what we have tons of neuroscience to support. That the way people learn really hard new things best, and you used the word earlier, Terry, you said transferable. Okay, if you learn something new really, really well, it means you can apply that thing you learned whether it's I now understand how to pick apart an equation or uh, I understand geospatial analysis or um, I've learned how to do a better job of communicating in, in a way that people understand or I've learned how to problem solve or I've learned how to think about if I am doing work 
that I really care about. I really care to do this thing, to solve this problem, to do this challenge, to help this organization in my community. My community could be my school, could be somebody in the moms-to-be organization. Mm-hmm. If I really care and the work is meaningful, that's the part that gives, not meaningful to the teacher, meaningful to each individual student. Then as a teacher, you have them where you want them. Then they're ready to learn really hard new things really, really well. And that's where the teaching methods come in. How do you teach in such a way when you've got kids wanting it so that you stay one step ahead of where they are? So, oh my gosh, I I just learned the linkage between poverty and depression and depression and stress and stress and health. Now what? And the teacher's right there and saying, okay, so what are your questions and what else do you need to know and what else can you find out and what else? And gets them to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And those kids come out having learned science, not all of science. It was three weeks, something about science and an ability to learn how to learn science that will change them. I mean, what is school? What is any education for? It's to grow through having learned new things. That's the whole point here. And the entire way we think about school and what it should look like if it's, quote, rigorous, Mm -hmm. we have to completely turn on its head. There's nothing more rigorous than learning like that. When I ask you, think of a moment when you learned something like you never could have imagined you could learn to do that really hard thing so quickly, so well. It was because you wanted to. Yeah, you know, it actually reminds me. I've, I've got a friend who's a novelist, and um, and she is a very successful novelist. And uh, she says every time she writes a novel, she realizes she has no idea how to write a novel. And she has yeah. to relearn the whole thing. Yeah. And she has to, to go back un, into the tunnel, yeah. underground. Yeah. She can only see six inches. Yeah. But she goes back because she knows sort of the visceral experience of solving that yeah. riddle is so satisfying. And she's driven to do it. She's got yeah. some sort of – so it reminds me a little bit of that, that even when you feel like you solve it, you know, you're not done. You're not. But you're, you're never invested done. in it. You're invested in it. And once you learn that about yourself, and I love what you just said, because it, it links to something else, which is a total paradigm shift. All of us, we all, I mean, what the industrial model of education, the one we have now, is like 180 years old, right? So in the, in the, in the in the arc of history, it's not that long. No. But as far as all of us talking and listening, it's all we know. Right. So the whole thing is designed under this idea that the whole purpose of school is to prepare us, right? It's to prepare you. So we're going to teach you a bunch of stuff for 12 or 14 or 18 or 20 years. We're going to teach you all this stuff that's going to prepare you to do something or other later. TBD. Okay. Right. Okay. TBD. And don't worry, Terry, when you're sitting there thinking, why do I need to know this? I know because I'm older and wiser. Trust me, you're going to need to know this. And you're thinking, but I don't think I ever want to do. I don't know anybody who does trigonometry. (laughs) Right. Right. And I'm like, trust me, trust me. I went through this. I hated it too, (laughs) but you're going to need it. So we have this idea and we literally have designed our entire school system higher ed, K 
K-12, everything we do, work training programs, workforce, every bit of the way we do educating people is based on this assumption that I'm going to teach you stuff to prepare you to do that other thing later. And the funny thing about it is that we know that that's not how humans learn. They don't learn things for keeps sequentially. We, we've, we've known this for years. It's not new. People talk about all this stuff as if this is this new understanding. Oh, we're going to have people do experiential learning. We're going to apprentice model, uh, STEM, PBL. Well, what we're really talking about is how what we know from cognitive science about how humans learn really hard new things really well and the way they learn them best which you know my favorite your favorite John Dewey uh yeah. okay wrote about in 1913 and 15 is i if i if you engage a student's interest that's julia what you were saying about the motivation like yeah. you, as a teacher you have to do the work to engage the student's interest taking their interest each individual interest and engaging it not what I'm interested in engaging you in my interest, right? And can I pause and just say, I think that's the model that most of us as teachers rely upon, right? That's the, I I love the great Gatsby. I'm going to love it so loudly and so enthusiastically and do my song and dance. And you'll kind of love it for a little while. You'll love it through reflection. And then there may be three kids in your class who also love it, or actually they just love you and they want to please you. And then you're like, really, you're, you're either a little hurt, actually, that the others couldn't care less. Yeah. Or you decide they're weak. They're just not smart <laughs> right. enough or strong enough. Not enough reading quizzes. Yeah. 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 Should have done more. So, so Which, the, by the way, has been my solution for 20 yeah, years. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right, right. Because, because you're trying to muscle right. them through this stuff. That's you're right. trying every trick in the book. Right. And then the parents are sitting at home and they're seeing the kids in puddles on the kitchen table at night. And they're looking at, you know, the kid who has 50 math problems that are all the same thing with different numbers. And because they failed the math test, the teacher's having them do more of the same stuff they hated and never cared about. Like, it's just, it's madness. But it's also been normalized. Can we just jump in on that? Because I think we have this normalization of, of... Suffering, right? Oh, yeah. Our, yeah. <laughs> we did an episode called you know, Suffering Academy. Or yeah. 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 Which we call rigor, right? Right. right. This is what it's supposed That's to look like. That's the proxy for rigor. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so, but the funny thing about that is that if you engage each student's interest and then as a teacher with a real understanding of what your objectives are for their learning. Okay, and it can, depending on the kids, depending on the class, depending on the circumstance, it can be all different things. It can be geospatial analysis, behavior psychology, statistical, quantitative um, analysis. It could be um, writing better, um, or it could be how to work with other people well. (laughs) It could be whatever. But if you are, as a teacher, you understand, okay, if I engage their interest by setting the work up so it matters to them, to each and every student. Then how do I teach in such a way that they're going to have to come across the need to learn new things that are really hard 
in order to get this thing done that they all want to get done. Yeah. Yeah. So as we, unfortunately, we probably have to get close to ending this thing, but I want to get to the mastery school of hockey and and how all of your experience and your your experience, Julia, like how you see it coming together. We're going to, we're building a school based a lot on, you know, your pedagogy and this approach. Um, How do you see it coming together? Well, so this isn't, we didn't just start this and that's what people need to understand. So um, I started developing these methods and experimenting with them 22 years ago as a math teacher. Eight years ago, when I came to Hawken as associate head, we decided that I would have a lab class as the first class of trying to do this very different method of teaching and learning. And I, I built the entrepreneurship class. Mm-hmm. And then um, and I experimented with the entrepreneurship class. How can we get all these crazy things learning to happen, really hard stuff, using real and urgent unsolved problems by businesses in the Cleveland area. They learned genetics. They learned um, quantitative physics. They crazily learned how to improve their writing and their speaking and their presenting, all this stuff. And I experimented and tried different things. How do you get, use real problems out in the community, not teacher-constructed projects, not teacher-defined projects, but real stuff involving the community, impacting the community, and then get the learning to happen. From there, and Julia said it, we've been working for years. We started experimenting with one of our core humanities classes let's try this in a humanities class let's try it in some various intensive classes science classes art classes design let's try it we've been an engineering class we've been experimenting and developing this um, with multiple teachers and multiple different kinds of student ages and setups and disciplines for seven years now and the way I see it coming together is it's the natural, we're, we're ready. We're ready to have an entire high school where students learn everything in high school in a very different way. Yeah. How do you see it happening? <laughs> Since I'm, you're the one who's got to. Yeah, you're, you're, you're building it. You're building yeah. it. You're building <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I think what's... Uh, What's been so, what so excites and inspires me about this work is, as Doris said, that you get to see student growth and learning in this model in a way that doesn't just work for some kids, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't just work for some kids. And, you know, we joked before about me being the one kid who liked Beowulf um, and one person in the room of 2000 who'd be like, Beowulf, yes, school, school. I liked school. Um, But uh, but it's true. I think I my unique lens on this from my own bio in some ways is that I I was like the one kid for whom school was really well designed. And yet when I. When I teach and I see the extraordinary range and diversity of strengths and skills that kids bring, and I think we've all had this experience as teachers, you work with some kid and school, the way it's usually defined and built, 
doesn't allow them to bring their strengths to the table. And you just see how extraordinary this kid is and all the things that they can bring and do and how they're they, they none of that gets to see the light of day and or it does but in pockets and corners and not, not centrally and so what uh what I love about teaching in this way as I've done more and more of it over these last several years is that everybody comes with everything they have and it does matter and and adolescents are ready. What you said, Doris, about how it's not preparation. It's not for some later thing. It's discovery. And they, you know, they are hardwired at that time in their development to be looking to mentors who aren't their parents for guidance and role modeling and support and all of that that we provide as teachers. And they want to make a difference now. You know, they don't want to be like, well, 10 years from now, you'll be able to start your own business and, you know, or or have this effect on the community. They're ready to do things that are real. And this lets them do that. Um, so that's that's an abstract answer, but it's it's what um, is most exciting to yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, th- and this approach is also yeah. married to the location of this place, right? It is. And that's yeah. the extraordinary thing. Is there going to be a university circle, 200 you know, nonprofits yeah. within walking distance? Or, Hard to know, think of a better yeah. place to do the it's, work. It's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. So uh, what a what an adventure we're about to uh, Yeah, And I here. just want to say one thing about Julia, that what you said is what's interesting is everything you said about students, it also happens with the teachers. Yeah. The it does. teachers collaborate and they get to bring their strengths. And instead of having one teacher solitary in one room and the kids are all with that one teacher, the teachers are collaborating to bring their strengths into the classroom. And it seems like it also reinvigorates the the vision that we all had when we first wrote our teacher professor statements, <laughs> right, about yeah. what we envisioned out of education. Uh, you know, it sort of brings that back into the yeah. room. And it makes it a, you know, I think teaching for me always has felt like a creative profession, but it makes that central, you know. It really reinvents and reinvigorates the role of a teacher in a way that, gives teachers the chance to be creative, have agency and autonomy. Everyone's a designer. Everyone's a builder of these student learning experiences. And it's just incredibly energizing as a teacher. Right. Yeah. I need some of that. Um, all right, listen. Thank yeah, go you grade guys. your papers. Uh, not, I know. You have a video con- conference. Video conferencing. Later <laughs> all right, so I just want to thank Doris Corda for uh, joining us. Um, and to you, Julia, congratulations again. Uh, we're off to a, a, a big adventure. It's very exciting. Be we are. Yeah. We all are. It's very uh, exciting. And thanks to Lyft for listening. If you're still out there, uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes and other spots. Um, please subscribe to the newsletter and all the rest. Um, Anyway, so thank you. Until next time. See you soon. Thanks, Terry. Yeah, thanks, Terry.